0: Welcome to the Recovering Entrepreneur Show. Today I have with me Miss Emily Goldmears. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you, Bobby. I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, same here. I love that we are going to be talking about stuff that I don't want to say isn't mainstream, but maybe not enough people have enough information on. So before we dive in, do you want to give a little introduction about who you are and why you're on the mission you're on? Um, Well, I used to be a lawyer. I'm a lawyer turned health
1: activist. Um, I'm also a research analyst and I distill scientific and health studies so that others may better advocate for themselves through lifestyle changes in education. My mission is to help people avoid ever becoming a
0: patient. Love that. Was there something that sparked this? Like, that got you into this changing professions and spreading the word and writing a book? Many things, yes. I mean, I've
1: always been interested in science and health and wellness, but my father became ill a number of years ago and ultimately died from vascular dementia. And I watched how his care was handled by the conventional healthcare system and i was kind of dismayed it, it wasn't good at all and so i began frantically researching my research skills um are strong from being a lawyer and i found some very grim news in terms of neurodegenerative disease that despite billions of dollars all- allocated to drug development and so many brilliant scientists devoting their lives to trying to find cures there has been very little meaningful progress, if any, for these neurodegenerative diseases. And yet, at the same time, the numbers of people who are expected to get them is just increasing. So, I broadened my research um, because I wanted to find something hopeful. And I broadened it to preventing chronic disease or reducing one's chance of getting one. And what I found was, in fact, quite optimistic and really hopeful that most of these chronic diseases, and that includes cancer and autoimmune disease, heart disease, neurodegenerative disease, most of these diseases have a very small genetic component. Depending upon who you talk to, between five and say 18% genetics, which means the rest is environmental and lifestyle. And that's great news because that means we have some control we're not just standing there waiting for the train to get us. We're not a prisoner of our genetics, but rather we can change our lifestyle choices and improve them to reduce the risk of getting one of these diseases or at least postpone the onset. And I learned so many great things. I thought I need to share this. People need to know because many of the things I learned are not all, but many are free or low cost. So there's not a lot of financial incentive for business communities to promote many of the things that I learned. And so many of these free things are actionable, easy to do and make a difference.
0: You know what I love about where we're going? One of my mentors talks about books and he talks about books, like it might cost 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks. And he says, the book doesn't matter. The price of the book doesn't matter. It's not about the actual, like having the piece of paper, But as I'm sitting here listening to you and your passion and your enthusiasm, what's going through my head is for 20 bucks, 30 bucks, you can literally save your life and your family members lives is what it really sounds like and quality of life. So I think this conversation is literally going to be priceless.
1: Yes, it is. I hope that it is. I hope people agree with you. But I mean, I I just don't know who doesn't want to feel as well as they possibly can. I had my own health issues. I was tired all the time and I couldn't figure out why no doctor could help me. And when I began diving into the research and changing a lot of the things that I did, I I feel better than I have in probably 15 years. And I think everyone would want that. I really do. So I just want to share the things that I've learned in the hopes that other people will want to feel better.
0: Awesome. Well, I know we can't dive deep into every aspect of this, but do you want to start with maybe what you think is the most important, well, um, I don't know. I don't know how you rank them. How about we start where you want to start with what you want to share? So there are so many things. I mean, I have
1: 19 chapters in my book and I love all of them. They're like my children (laughs) because each one has value And, and each one can be dealt with on its own. But I begin the book with oral health because a lot of attention has been given to gut microbiome. There's been tremendous discoveries in probably the last eight or 10 years. And there's endless information about gut health. And I believe strongly in gut health that if if your gut is not optimized, you won't be able to fix the other things either. But your optimal health begins in your mouth. There is a clear two-way relationship between oral wellness and systemic wellness and untreated harmful organisms growing out of control in one's mouth lead not only to cavities and gum disease, but also to chronic inflammation. And chronic inflammation is the driver of most of these diseases. So I go into depth as to how one can improve their oral health. And just for one example, you have to change, or you should rather change the products that you use, your oral care products your mouthwash, your toothpaste, your dental floss, all of these things, if you're buying conventional products, they're filled with chemicals and filled with ingredients that are harming you. There has been um, a connection between a particular gum disease called P. gingivalis and dementia and Alzheimer's. The bacteria, you think about how close your mouth is to your brain and the bacteria which sets in, if it isn't handled appropriately, It goes through your bloodstream up into your brain and can cross the blood-brain barrier. So it is important to have good oral health. And you can start by being mindful of your products. For instance, people who use mouthwash need to understand that most of the mouthwashes have alcohol as an ingredient. And the problem there is the alcohol will kill all the bacteria on your tongue and in your mouth, both the bad and the good. And we are made up of bacteria. And you don't want to kill all the good bacteria because that's when bad things happen. So that's just one example.
0: I learned about mouthwash having alcohol from rehab because <laughs> they wouldn't let us have it. Uh-huh. Um, which, but I didn't realize that it was hurting the bacteria. So, what about toothpaste and stuff? Are you saying that it's not normal toothpaste that we should be using? I
1: am conventional toothpaste, the brands that we've heard the most about, the brands that spend the most money on marketing are filled with ingredients that we should not be ingesting. Fluoride is one. Fluoride is a neurotoxin. Uh, triclosan is another. People have allergic reactions to triclosan. And then there's all these other ingredients that have long chemical names that are not good. And, and thankfully. There are so many non-toxic brands which are emerging now and are available for people to switch to. And it's much better to do so.
0: Okay. You know, can I share a story with you real quick? This little thing that I heard from a, he was like a physical fitness coach and he used to go to the homeless shelter and he would teach, he would do a workout and then he would teach a little lesson. And one night he asked the room, he said, would you rather have lose all the teeth in your mouth or lose your memory? And, um, everybody's like, well, of course they wouldn't want to lose their brain. Right. And their memory and stuff. He's like, well, you brush your teeth two or three times a day. Why aren't you taking care of your brain? And you're like making the two of them go together, which is kind of interesting to me. Cause I wouldn't have thought of it that way. So thank you for that. Um, It wouldn't have been top of my radar, but you talk about the chemicals impacting the bacteria, but you also have some research on toxins too, outside of just the mouth stuff. Is that right?
1: That is right. I have an entire chapter on toxins because I am a big believer and others are as well that our toxin exposure is definitely a component of all these diseases. Currently, the U.S. permits more than 85,000 chemicals in our food, water, and commercial products that we put on our skin, use to clean, store food in, wear, sleep on, grow crops with, and more. We're literally surrounded by toxins that have not been adequately tested for safety, and many that are banned in other countries. And then there's the combination of chemicals, and the combination increases the harm. And they're everywhere, in everything. And we can't get rid of all of them, but there are so many things that we can do to reduce our exposure. And that will be beneficial. You can get an air filter to clean your air inside. A water filter is a must because many water supplies are filled with bad things. Um, You can go through your... personal care products like your shampoo and your lotions and all the things that we put on our face and our hair and our skin. I mean, our skin is our biggest organ. And when you put things on your skin, it permeates through into your bloodstream. And when you're putting things that are filled with chemicals and other bad ingredients, that's soaking in. And thankfully, there are a lot of alternatives today that don't have all those bad chemicals. Same with cookware, same with cleaning products. I mean, there's so many ways today to do better and to reduce our toxic exposure that people should really consider that.
0: Do you have any examples that come to mind that someone listening might just be like, Oh, I have that in my kitchen or, Oh, I have that in my house. Like, is there, is there obvious things that aren't obvious to us that maybe bubbled up in your research? So
1: many phthalates are petroleum based chemicals that make plastic soft and flexible. And they're in everything. They're in personal care products, wood finishes, detergents, solvents, insecticides, building materials, meat and dairy products, and fast food. They're in the packaging of the fast food and those chemicals soak through into the food. Titanium dioxide is another one. and It's been classified as a group two carcinogen and it's used in food, creamer, candy, toothpaste, chewing gum, sunscreen, makeup, soap, lotions, And even some medication and supplements, I mean, these chemicals are ubiquitous, but you can find alternatives. And so the problem is, is that people don't know.
0: So is this a, is this a label reading game or is this like, is there, I feel, I feel overwhelmed, like as I'm talking to you, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm trying to think of a normal person trying to, um, enhance their life and take care of their health. So they have a good body and a good brain. Is there, um, is there an easy step or steps, um, that they could be thinking about? Or is it, is there an app? Is there certain chemicals? Like if you cut out the first three and then maybe build on the next three or, is my question making sense? I'm looking yes, for a cheat. I'm looking for a cheat of your 19 chapters in two sentences. Of so my
1: 19th <laughs> chapter is a resource chapter. And the resource chapter is all the goods and services that I vetted um, throughout the whole book. And it gives you alternatives, better products to buy. And I have no affiliation with any of them. So, I mean, I'm not getting any money from any of them, but these are products that I've investigated carefully and find that they're far less harmful and are good. Now, there are there are also apps that you can download so that you can look at the chemicals or you can simply just look for non-toxic brands, not so much organic when it comes to personal care and home cleaning. Organic is not the right de- definitive word, but rather non-toxic. And then even then you have to do a little bit of due diligence or you can just look at my resource guide. <laughs>
0: Okay. I love it. You know, that may, that makes sense. I um I recently saw, you said fast food in there when you were talking about this plastic thing or the thing that's in plastic plates. What did you call thalates.
1: it? It's called, it's spelled P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, phthalates. And they're everywhere, everywhere. You'd be stunned.
0: Well, I saw a TikTok where they showed a chicken nugget under a microscope and it showed having plastic in there. And I think that's what they were talking about. And um, so like, that's what I mean by like a cheat. If people cut out fast food, they'd probably reduce their harm just in that.
1: In so many ways, not just (laughs) reducing their toxic exposure, but I mean, in many ways they would, if they could, yes, reduce their fast food consumption or eliminate it, they'd be better off and they would feel better. You know, I mean, At first it would be hard, like so many habit changes are,
0: but ultimately when you start to feel better, it's worth it. You talked about feeling the best you have in 15 years and that's what gets people excited, right? Like they want to feel good. They want to look good, all of that. And I have two like burning questions about this. One is what, um, what are some of the things that you apply to yourself to feel good, to get that result? And the other is what about like, the whole world goes round on these beauty industry stuff, you know, like does does your research show that now looking at me, I mean, I wear very little makeup and all of that. Of course I have purple hair right now, so I probably have some toxins going on, but, um, it's only a second time in my life. So that's my excuse. But anyway, um, it, it sounds it, the world is just made up so much of all this, how you look instead of necessarily how you take care of your insides. Like that's my perception.
1: It is, but you know, in Europe and other countries, they ban a lot of these things that the US does not ban. I mean, unfortunately the US is rather financially motivated and if it makes money, they'll sell it regardless of the health consequences. And that's a shame, that really is a shame. But um, in terms of what I did, That was the other inspiration for me to write the book. I made so many mistakes that it's shocking how many mistakes I made. And when I remedied those mistakes, I thought I have to tell people to learn from my mistakes. I try with my kids and I said, don't make the same mistakes. I did everything wrong. I mean, my nutrition was terrible. Um, I had the eating habits of a 13 year old boy. I mean, horrible. Sugar was my favorite food group love sugar. And I was an athlete, so I, I was a runner. And so I I thought it was okay. I thought I was burning it off, but I didn't understand what I was doing internally. And and wow. health is all about the state of your cells. Same with aging. It's all about your cellular health. And I didn't understand that or know that what I was doing. So when I learned that I changed my nutrition radically, my sleep. I stayed up too late. I couldn't wake up in the morning. My cortisol release was all backwards. My circadian rhythms were backwards. I completely redid that. When I started to learn the implications of all the things I was doing wrong, um, I probably exercised too much. That's not good either. I mean, I literally did everything wrong, everything in terms of supplements, which I'm a big believer in. I have a whole chapter on supplements, but my method for choosing them was Hairbrain. I would read an article about, you know, this supplement will give you good mitochondria. And I would think I want good mitochondria. I'm taking that. And I didn't. And then when I continued to do my research, I said, oh, wait a minute. This is not a good approach because these things act synergistically. Everything does in our bodies. Our bodies are so remarkable, but you cannot do one thing. or or ingest one thing without it having a widespread impact. And if you take two things, two different supplements, they're interacting. Everything is interacting. And when I learned this, I completely redid my approach to supplements. So I've redone everything, basically, um, which I know seems overwhelming. But in my book, I have action steps where people can start out slowly, or they can just do one thing, you know, one thing. And if they feel like it's impacting them in a positive way, maybe they'll be inspired to try other things. Light bulbs, Uh, we read um, how LED light bulbs are better for the environment, they're more sustainable, they have less of a carbon emission, and that very well may may be true, they're very bad for our biology. You know, and I went with, I wanna help the environment, and so I had all LED bulbs until I did further research and I learned, they're terrible for our biology. The blue light spectrum at night, it goes into our eye and it hits our pineal gland and it shuts off our production of human growth hormone and melatonin and does a lot of other things. It's quite harmful to our eyes at night. During the day, the blue spectrum of light is fine. It's what we get from the sun. It's appropriate, but it's after sundown and it is emitting from our LED bulbs, from our iPhones, from our laptops, from our TVs, everything, and we're getting all this blue light exposure, and it's harming us.
0: I've heard that about the technology. I didn't realize it from regular households' lights, and LEDs are the ones that I think they make you think you're saving on your electric bill.
1: Yes, yes, and I live in California, and in California, you can't, it's really hard to get bulbs that are not LEDs. I think they passed a law, So it's very hard to get one because they're supposed to be better for the environment. Nobody is telling anybody, but they're very bad for your biology.
0: Wow. I just had a conversation about California yesterday because I'm moving out there in two weeks. And my friend was like, "Um, I hope you don't smoke menthol cigarettes because menthol has been banned in California. And she was getting into all this stuff. Um, not that the cigarettes will kill you, but somehow the menthol will or or whatever. And I don't get involved in all of that thing, but I, you make a great point of the stuff is well-intentioned and we're consuming the content that people are deciding for us yeah. a lot of times.
1: Yeah, it's true. A lot of regulations here. I mean, you can't beat the weather. Christmas day was 80 degrees here. It's a gorgeous day today. Beautiful. So are you moving to northern or southern California? Southern. Oh, that's where I live. Somewhere um, in
0: LA or um I think I'd like Santa Monica oh, so far so from close, my research.
1: Very close to where I live. I live really I, I live 10 minutes from Santa Monica. Absolutely. Yeah. You'll love it. I mean, there's a couple of issues, you know, the traffic is not great, but the weather is so steady, although we're getting rain. And it's funny for those people who live in other parts of the country who are used to weather and rain when it rains in Los Angeles, it is the headline news. I mean, on the news, in the newspaper, no one can stop talking about the rain. <laughs>
0: it's, oh, that's funny. I
1: always think, what does the rest of
0: the country think about us? Well, don't tell my boss, but I picked LA because of the weather.
1: Well, good choice.
0: Like, I'll go there. I, I want it. it. So you'll love it. It's really good, consistent, steady weather. It's nice. Oh, that's great. Um, I I don't know, like here in the winter, and I don't know if this is part of um your expertise or observations, but I want to go to bed at six o'clock in the winter here in Connecticut. Like it's dark, it's miserable. I I have less energy in the winter for sure. I don't I'm not getting enough productivity. Like I should be able to work a 12 hour I mean, I'd like to work a 12 hour day, you know, because I have the side stuff. Like we wouldn't be visiting um if I didn't, right? But I I am not motivated to do that at all in the cold and in the weather. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to do any of those things.
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. But what people who are in that northern latitude can do, they can get a light box. And that's somewhat helpful. That can be helpful, but you don't need to get one because you're moving out here. Now, we are in the dead of winter, which is which means a lot different than it does on the East Coast or the Midwest. Um, You know, it still is getting dark early, but lots of it's not, you know, during the day,
0: it's so beautiful that it, it makes it a little bit easier. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So we talked about supplements, we talked about toxins, we talked about the mouth, and we talked about resources. I think there's still 15 chapters. What else would be like, what would be your, you said they're all your favorite. So <laughs> what what other things um, would, I guess, would the masses really benefit from understanding and learning more about when it comes to this? So another
1: chapter that I think everyone should know about is, and I love this chapter, testing and tracking. And there is an adage in this area that says that you cannot fix what you can't measure. So I think everyone should begin by testing. My advice to anybody who's considering supplements, for instance, and they they play a big part because our food supply is so tainted and our soil doesn't have the same minerals and nutrients that it once had. So supplements do serve a purpose. But I don't think you should take any supplements without doing testing first, because by definition, supplement is meant to add to what you're deficient in. Mm-hmm. And without knowing what you're deficient in, you're operating blind, and you may be taking something that you don't need or that you already have a sufficient amount of, and, and perhaps you could harm yourself. So testing is the first thing to do, to find out what your baseline is. Where are you deficient? We all are deficient in some areas. Most of us are deficient in micronutrients, but um, it's good to know identify them specifically and then act accordingly. So that's testing. And I go into all the different tests that one can do. But the other thing that I love um, are these health tracking devices. And this is an area that is emerging, it is bursting. And it's really interesting. I'm not very advanced technologically, but I do. I am fascinated by it. And one of the devices that I talk about and that I have and that I love is an aura ring. I'm wearing it right now, it's this thing. And it's a ring that has little sensors inside and it pairs with your phone. You download an app on your phone and it gives you activity information, though that's not where I think it excels, and sleep information. And that's what I love it for. The first thing in the morning, I open up my phone and I look at my sleep from the previous night and the metrics that it gives me, it tells me my respiratory rate. How many breaths a minute I was taking during the night? That's an important metric. It tells me my heart rate, how fast or slow my heart was beating throughout the night. It tells me something called HRV, which stands for heart rate variability. And what that is, is that's a metric of stress. Sometimes we're not even aware of our stress and this HRV metric will show us if we need improvement in that area. It tells me the amount of REM sleep, the amount of deep sleep, the overall amount of sleep. it gives so much information. Um, what my temperature was while I was sleeping. That's another biggie. You want to sleep in a cold room. If you're too hot, you wake up and you can't sleep. So I love it. I mean, and I think that it's something that it inspires me. I think, oh, and then I, I like to tweak things. I find If I eat too late at night or if I eat certain things that are too heavy, it affects all my metrics. My heart rate is up because of what I ate for dinner. So I like to tweak those kind of things, but it just gives really interesting information. And the other device that's my favorite, and I really believe strongly that sometime in the future, I don't know when, but sometime um, it will be standard of care. And that's a continuous glucose monitor, or what they call a CGM for short. And this is an item that's designed for diabetics but it has great utility for people who don't have diabetes. I don't have diabetes and I love to use them from time to time. You get your doctor to write your prescription. And I went on YouTube to figure out how to put it on. You just put the thing on your arm or your belly and it has a teeny little needle, but you can't feel it. And it comes with a device that you sort of shoot it into your arm and you pair that with your phone. And the amount of information that is valuable Every, I think everyone should have one. And one day they will when people realize how important, because what it does is it tests your, your blood sugar, your glucose, and that is a problem with every disease. These mm-hmm. constant glucose spikes that occur when we eat foods that are not good for us, or even when we're in stressful situations, these spikes of glucose are driving disease. And this is just coming to light now and we're all very different genetically and biochemically so one person could eat a banana which is a wholesome food or a carrot a whole food and they could spike glucose and another person couldn't based upon different biochemistry and genetics so this is good to know because you think oh i best i better not be eating that or there are things that you can do if i want to eat the banana but it spikes my glucose i'll put some almond butter on it and the fat will slow the absorption of the glucose into my bloodstream and will slow the spike. So I just think it's so valuable that I literally hope I live to the day where it's standard of care and everybody has one.
0: Yeah, I think we can all need one. I'd have to give up my desserts first. I'm bad. Like that's one of my weaknesses um, is sweets. So I don't think I want to know yet. And so I'm behaving (laughs)
1: Well, you have to get in the right framework. But me too. Sugar was my favorite food group. I loved it. Yeah. I liked
0: it better than any of the other foods. So Wow. I I kinda of, we kind of skipped over testing a little. You said like you you give a lot of um ideas in, in the book. Are you talking about formalized testing with your doctors or are you talking about like swabs? Um there's this whole new medicine, supplements, emerging thing with the IVs. Do you know anything about that when people are putting the IVs in? Can you speak to
1: that at all? I don't speak to it. I'm not a huge fan. What that does is that, I think that loads you up with something. I I first, I wouldn't do it without testing. You can get glutathione IVs and all these different cocktail IVs. First, you want to find out what your baseline is because you may not need that. Mm. Or you certainly may not need that much. So that's why I start with the testing and you can get them from your doctors. A lot of doctors are not that familiar with them. And there are now all these online sites where you can go on and you can order the tests. And often with the purchase of the test comes um, a diagnosis, not a diagnosis, but an explanation of the results is included so that someone can go over them with you and tell you this is out of range or you need to improve this. So, but yeah, I, I stay away from the IV places
0: okay, I was just curious because it what i'm I feel like I'm hearing I hear everything you're saying and I'm intrigued by it what's interesting is the opposite of what you're saying is what commercials tell us is what the labels tell us is what society tells us um so i'm I'm just kind of like all right, some of the other things that are going on out there that It feels like society's telling us these other things. And you make a great point with the supplements about the overkill that it can be. And how could you, if we are all different, how can we all, if you take 5,000, whatever it is of vitamin D, maybe I don't need that much, or maybe I need more because I'm in Connecticut and you're in California. Like, it's a great point. It's definitely a great point. So... Have you found in your research, anything about specific foods, um, or products that help with brain health, like versus, so we're talking about like what deteriorates it, but like what, what can help in by adding into your lifestyle not just switching, but is there, is there foods or, or things that would help your brain health?
1: Definitely, definitely there are. And unfortunately, one of the things is to reduce or eliminate sugar. Sugar is toxic. And I say this, you know, with great pain because I love sugar, but it is toxic. There is no benefit for sugar Um, and it causes a lot of problems. Now, in the helpful category are healthy fats, avocado, nuts, certain oils. Not a lot of attention is paid to all the bad oils. Canola oil and seed oil are very bad. They're processed and industrialized in a way that they're really bad for us. And they they increase our omega-6 fatty acids so that they're way out of line with our omega-3 fatty acids. And you want to have a certain ratio of those. And so olive oil, coconut oil, avocado oil are the healthiest oils to cook with and to eat with. Um, but uh, whole foods... Uh, There's a lot of controversy in terms of meat and animal products. My belief is that as long as your animal products are well-sourced, they're not factory farmed. They're not all those poor cows. that are squished in together and fed antibiotics and hormones and fed very bad food because you eat what the animal you eat ate. So you have to be conscious of that. But I think there's a place. People are very anti-animal products. I personally don't like red meat. But I think as long as you're getting good, well, you know, well-sourced red meat, it provides certain amino acids that you can't get anywhere else. Mm. So, and, and once again, that's a personal thing too. That also depends upon your genetics and biochemistry. There are some people who need to have that meat. They really do. And so they should eat it.
0: Do you think that this lifestyle costs more than the way people are, the I'll, the baseline of how people, most people are living, the people who don't have the research you do, do you think it's more expensive?
1: I think initially it is. I mean, it's cheap to eat fast food. You know, it's cheap to not worry about your health or not or not consider your health. But here's the thing. It's very expensive to get sick. And that is a pathway to sickness. And I kind of think of it as you pay now or you pay later. And if you pay later, you pay much, much more. Sickness is really costly in so many ways, not just financially, but emotionally and disruptive to your life. So you may have to pay a little bit more now up front to eat healthy food and to change your habits, but ultimately you'll get a good return on that investment.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that thinking. I've done keto a few times, you know, like on and off. And I found that even though I had to buy like grass-fed beef, for example, or I was eating the nuts and stuff, I was full on less food. Or if you're fasting, do you you have an opinion on fasting? I do. I do have an opinion on fasting. And
1: that is, fasting has been around forever. And it can have certain benefits. One specific is called autophagy. Fasting triggers autophagy. And what that is is that is the clearing of our senescent cells. Our cells have a certain life as to how many times they divide. They're constantly dividing. And when they hit their limit, sometimes they can become zombie-like. And what that does is that starts the inflammatory process. So you wanna get rid of those zombie-like cells or those senescent cells and fasting triggers autophagy, which is the process that gets rid of it. But having said that, women need to be mindful. Because strenuous fasting can upset their hormonal balance. Too much fasting for the wrong person may not be appropriate. Once again, it comes down to the main theme of my book is we are all different. And what works for your friend may not work for you and may be downright harmful. So you could have a friend that fasts, you know, once a month or a couple of days a week and has great success. But that doesn't mean it's appropriate for everybody.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Ms. Emily, is there anything that I have not thought to ask you or that is another like burning favorite that you want to share? Well, just
1: one of the things that I
0: believe and I want to persuade people is that they can
1: and they must become their own healthcare advocate. Gone is the day where we can outsource all of our health to the doctor. The doctors don't have time. They're squeezed by the insurance companies. They have very little time they can spend with each patient. Their heads are buried in their electronic health records. And the reality is, nobody knows your body better than you know your body. You know how you respond to everything. And I want to encourage people to take control and, at the very least, collaborate with your doctor or your healthcare practitioner. I love that. So, where can people find this 19 chapter book? <laughs> well, on Amazon or online. Target or Walmart or wherever books are sold and certain independent booksellers. And I have a website, emilygoldmears.com, and it's also available there.
0: Perfect. And do you want to remind everybody what the name of it is?
1: The book is called Optimizing Your Health, An Approachable Guide to Reducing Your Risk of Chronic Disease.
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for spending time with me, educating me and my audience and caring so much to Write the book and share the book and educate us on all the things that you learned. I could not do all that research like a lawyer, like, no way. So, we need people in the world like you that have both that skill set and the voice to share it. Well, thank
1: you, Bobby. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you.